If you have Bible in hand, if you'll turn to the 10th chapter of the book of Romans in the New Testament, then we're going to begin reading at verse 1. So Romans chapter 10, if you need a Bible, just raise your hand and we'll hand you a Bible or there's some on the front platform. But we're going to continue our journey through the book of Romans, this wonderful, wonderful letter that Paul wrote to the Christians in Rome 2,000 years ago. And if you were with us in our study over the last couple of weeks, going through chapter 9, you recall that Paul, he turns his heart towards his countrymen, the Jews, and he expressed his heart to them. He would express his sorrow, his grief that he felt for them because they had not come to the full knowledge of God's grace and salvation that had been provided for them through Jesus Christ. You see, the gospel had become a stumbling to the Jews. We know that later on that Paul would write to the Corinthian believers that to the Jews the gospel was a stumbling block and to the Gentiles foolishness. But we know that the theme of this book has been the gospel of Christ. And Paul has told us that all of us have need for the gospel because the whole world stands guilty before God. We have all sinned and it's important for us as, as you know, ones who uh, come to salvation to understand this that Jesus Christ went to the cross to die for our sins, that the greatest need of any man or any woman is to be forgiven of sin. And as we stand guilty before God, we're not left in that condition. That is, we can come to the gospel of Christ, the good news that we are justified or declared righteous, not by the law, our own efforts. It's not by our own works, but we are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And so Paul begins to build upon that, that because we are justified through faith in Jesus Christ, that we have blessings, we have benefit. That is, that we have access to God, we have peace with God, we have the hope of heaven. We know that we identify with Christ in this newness of life, that we're dead to sin, and we're also dead to the law because the law can't save us. Even though it's God's perfect standard, we can't keep that perfect standard. We're dead to the law so that we can be joined to another, that is Jesus Christ. And there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We have the spirit of adoption that we can cry out, Abba, Father, and there's no separation from his love. So all these wonderful truths that we have discovered and we have been talking about quite extensively in the first eight chapters of the book of Romans. And Paul just ends chapter eight, that section of this wonderful theology that is declared to us concerning justification, concerning sanctification, by just breaking out in praise. And then chapter 9, he turns towards his countrymen and he begins to express that grief and sorrow that he had for them. And we know that as Paul, he would express that he himself would be a curse from Christ for his countrymen if it brought their salvation. So we see that the Apostle Paul had a deep love and concern for his brethren, even though he would personally go through much persecution and difficulty by them during his ministry. But the apostle continually prayed for them. He continually grieved for them. Paul said, you Israel, you had blessing, you had benefit, you had the adoption, you saw the glory, you were given the covenants, the law, the prophets, you were called to serve God, and you were promised the Messiah, and he has come. But you have rejected him, the one who came, who is the eternally blessed God, verse 5 of chapter 9 declares. You are God's chosen people simply by God's divine sovereignty. 
And so that's where we left off last time as Paul is addressing Israel's past. As we travel through chapter 10 here, we will see that Paul will deal with Israel's present and then chapter 11, Israel's future and promise dealings and future restoration. But we left off seeing that God had chosen the the covenant, the blessing of his people would go through Abraham, Genesis chapter 12, and then through Isaac, not through Ishmael, Then Jacob, rather than Esau, God had accepted Jacob. He had rejected Esau, and it's all because of God's sovereignty. So let's continue now in Romans chapter 10 and verse 1. Paul, inspired by the Spirit of God, writes, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. And as we have discussed going through chapter 9, that the Apostle Paul, even though he was known as the Apostle to the Gentiles, he stated as he opened up chapter 9 once again that he would be accursed. My conscience bears witness in the Holy Spirit of this, that I would be accursed if it brought salvation to Israel. So Paul continually prayed for his countrymen, the Jews. And now in this chapter, he prays that as they have rejected Jesus as way of salvation, continuing to look to the law, that he continues to express that grief that he has, that he prayed for them. And I think that it's worth noting here before we move on. He says, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. You see, Paul... He breaks out in prayer that we see in the epistles. We know that Paul was a man of prayer. I know that we pray. We pray for others. We pray uh, at times with uh, other brothers and sisters. I pray at the beginning of service. I pray at the end of service. It's wonderful. Sometimes I'll pray in public. But I want us to notice something. Here Paul says, it's my heart. This is my prayer. This is my prayer. So the question to ask you and to ask this church is what's our prayer? What really is our prayer? What really is our heart? Is it, Lord, I want more of this and bigger that, and I want to win the lottery and all of this? Is that your prayer? Is the prayer of this church as we become more popular and, and bigger and you know more programs? What is our prayer? And I hope that we would have a heart that says, Lord, I want to see people get saved. I I pray for my kids, that life would come to them, to my grandkids. I pray for those at work that I work alongside of and, and those in my family that don't know you, those that I go to school with. I pray for their salvation. I pray that they would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, that I would be able to share with them. That was Paul's prayer. He says, this is my heart's desire. This is my prayer. And I hope that it's not only for us, but also for this church, that we would say our heart's desire is that we want to reach a community. We want to reach as many people as we can for the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we would have a heart for the lost. That, Lord, that salvation would come to them. Because it is dark out there. And people are in that darkness and being deceived. And the enemy has blinded them. And and we have opportunity to bring the, the message of the gospel to them as he opens up doors for us. So may that be our heart. Lord, this is really my heart's desire. 
And as we continue, he says, For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, not, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. So you can have a zeal for God, and Paul recognizes that his countrymen, the Jews, they had a real zeal for God. And Paul talked about before his conversion, when he was a Pharisee, when he's writing to the Philippian believers, he said that if anyone should have confidence in the flesh, it was me even more so because I was a Pharisee of Pharisee. I was of the tribe of Benjamin. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was one that, according to the law, I was blameless. Uh, I was one that uh, excelled more than all my contemporaries in Judaism. He had real zeal. And then Paul would write in Philippians chapter 3, but those things I count as loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. And you see, this is where a lot of religious people can go astray. They can have plenty of zeal, but they have little knowledge. Now, keep in mind that Paul is not saying that you have no knowledge. You're all ignorant. No, he's not saying that. But he's saying as you don't have knowledge of God's righteousness, you are ignorant of God's righteousness. You continue to try to establish your own righteousness. The Jews would be knowledgeable in the scriptures. The religious leaders of Jesus' day, of course, they boasted that they knew every dot and tittle of the Old Testament. But they had stumbled over Christ. It was an offense to them that they needed the Savior that Jesus had come for them. And they had continued to believe that all they had to do to be righteous before God was to keep the law, to be in their own works. We're descendants of Abraham. And he says, you have established your own righteousness rather than the righteousness of God that comes through Jesus Christ and faith in him. And so Paul would write in chapter 3 of Philippians that I want to be found in him, that is in Christ not having my own righteousness, and which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. And as I've mentioned this before, going through this study, I think that most of us, if not all of us, we know people that they think that they will be able to stand before God and to say, I deserve to be in heaven. They will bring their own righteousness before God. And they will think that they will be okay. They think that they have earned salvation, that I've been a good person, that I've done enough religious works or acts or whatever the case may be, and they don't realize they're ignorant of God's righteousness. And one of the thoughts that we see in culture today and the world's philosophy that a lot of people buy into is this. As long as you are sincere and as long as you are zealous and really stick to what you believe, you will be just fine. And we know that that's not true. You can be sincere, but you can be sincerely wrong. We know that Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12 says that there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end of his way is death. You can believe that you can come to God in all your righteousness because that's what everybody thinks. I think I'll be okay. I think I'll make it to heaven. But what has God really declared? What does his word say? We know that Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. So we want to make sure that people understand that God in his word declares how you can be righteous before him, and that is faith in Jesus Christ. 
But I do want to bring it home a little bit closer for us here this morning because I know that a vast majority of us coming through the services this morning that we do know that God's righteousness comes through faith in Jesus Christ. We've established that. I've been grounded in that. I know that, Pastor. But what can happen to us if we're not careful is that we can have a real zeal about something, but we have no knowledge about what God has to say about it. I think one of the things that we see in the church today is that there are Christians, too many of them that I talk to, that they don't have real discernment. They have zeal about something, I I really feel like this is what I am to do, where I should go, the direction that that I should travel, what I should be involved in, uh, what I should believe. But they don't know what God's word says concerning those things. And and there have been those who say, I'm going to do this. I got a real zeal to be involved in that or to participate in that. And I can look at God's word and I can see that God's will is no, you're not to be involved in that. You're not to do that. And churches can even do that. Churches get involved in things that's not pleasing to God, that grieves the Lord. And so we want to be careful that we don't just have zeal, but we don't have knowledge in what God has to say about what it is that we are pursuing. And that is why if we want to do well in a spiritual sense, and I'm not against zeal. Sometimes I wish that Christians had more zeal. But it needs to come with knowledge and what God's word declares is right for us in any area of our lives, in relationships, with your family, and serving the Lord, and what you believe, and what you pursue, and what you're involved in. As I've said, I've talked to too many Christians over the years. Well, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to go down this path. And they have a real zeal, and they you know, are determined to do it, but they have no knowledge of what God's desire is and will is for their lives. And I can point them out, you know, truth in God's word and say, God doesn't want you to do that. He doesn't want you to go down this direction or down that path or be involved in that thing. It's not pleasing to him. May we be like the psalmist that would say, teach me your ways, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. But as we continue in chapter 10, verse 4, we read, For Christ is the end of the law, for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law, the man who does those things shall live by them. The only righteousness that God will accept from us is perfection. So if a man or woman lives every minute of their lives in complete submission, complete obedience, and compliance with God's holy standard, in everything that they do, in everything that they say, and in everything that they think, then God will accept their righteousness. But we know that we can't keep the law. And Paul has made that case over and over again as we've traveled through the book of Romans. You recall that Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, that he would turn to his disciples And he would say to them, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And when his disciples heard that, they must have thought, what hope is there for anybody? 
What do you mean be more righteous than a scribe and a Pharisee? There's no one more righteous than them. I mean, look at their robes, the phylacteries, how they say the, the prayers on the street corners, how they fast, and, and we see that. Uh, twice a week they do. They give of everything. The trumpets are blown when they give, and they even give of the seeds of their gardens. They're up front in the synagogues. They look so holy. They seem so righteous. They boasted in their righteousness. But it was Jesus that said to those Pharisees, woe to you. Now, when Jesus said, woe to you, that's not good. And he said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, for you're like whitewashed tombs. You're all polished outwardly, but inwardly you're full of dead men's bones. And Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, as he knew that those disciples and those who heard him say that would be struggling with that. What do you mean be more righteous than the Pharisees? His point is you need me. It's a heart issue. Because you can say that I haven't murdered, but you hate your brother, then you're guilty. And you can say that I, have, you know, I haven't committed adultery, but you lust after another, you're guilty. It's a heart issue. And you need to have a heart for the Savior, Jesus Christ. The purpose of the Sermon on the Mount is to show us we need him because there's a lot of things there as he talks about loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you and all these different things. I need the Savior, Jesus Christ, because I can't do it in my own flesh, in my own energies. Even externally, I may try to do it and put on a front, but internally in my heart, I fail. And of course, Paul would write in Galatians chapter 3 that the purpose of the laws is not to show us that we can be holy. We can't. It's a schoolmaster to point us to Jesus Christ. Isaiah said that our righteousness are as filthy rags before the Lord. So Paul, once again, is reiterating to us, so we're establishing this truth that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So we are to submit to the righteousness of Christ, not to the law, because we can't keep the law. The law is God's holy standard, but the law cannot give us a righteous standing before God because the problem is us. And listen, this is important. If it were possible for a person to keep the law perfectly, if a person could be righteous because they kept the law, then Christ did not have to go to the cross. Do you know that? He didn't have to go to the cross. In the garden as he's sweating great drops of blood, as he said, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. If it is possible, if what is possible? If salvation can come to any man or any woman because they kept the law in their own goodness, in their own religiousness, and in their own merit, then I don't need to take on the cup of suffering and death. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He told the disciples, I will take on the cup that the Father has given me to drink, the cup of suffering and death. Because he knew there would be absolutely no hope whatsoever for any of us if he didn't go to the cross and die for our sins. It was the only way of salvation. Paul here in verse 5 that we read of the chapter, quoting from Leviticus chapter 18, verse 5, Moses said to lawgiver, he said, if you want to be righteous before God in your own righteousness, then you must live by the law. The problem is that's impossible. We can't keep it perfectly. No man has ever lived by the law. In verse 7, verse we read, or, will, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? 
The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So wonderful verses here, verses that we're familiar with. Maybe if you took somebody through the Roman road, we call it, the, the gospel and, and calling out on the Lord, these verses that are quoted. Maybe we have them memorized. Maybe you took an evangelistic class, how the witness of somebody. These verses definitely come up. But we can see how simple God made it for salvation. Believe it in your heart. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, that he died for my sins. He rose again. And what happens is, is that man can come along to complicate salvation. And what happens is man will go back to the righteousness of works. Well, if I know enough theology, if I do these religious acts, if I give to the church, belong to the church, if I'm baptized, whatever the case may be. And I think that there is this natural tendency in us to want to take some credit for my salvation. I want to boast in what I've done. Really think about this, folks. Do you really think that we're going to stand before a holy, awesome God and say, I did pretty good. I'm going to boast because I went to church almost every Sunday or I taught Sunday school or I was a good mom, good dad. I gave to the church. I was baptized in the church. I was confirmed in the church. I did this. I, I, I. You got an eye problem. None of us will be able to say, Lord, I deserve eternal glory that awaits. But it's all him, and we're going to fall down before him. And we are going to marvel at his incredible grace that he did the work. That's why he cried out, it is finished from the cross. And as Paul would write, that we are justified freely. By his grace. We can't earn it. He goes on to say, then where is the boasting? It's excluded. There will be no boasting in heaven in what we have done to earn salvation. It's all because of what you did, Lord, on Calvary's cross. And it is by the law of faith that I'm here. In verse 11, for the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And as we discussed last week, that all of us are included in that group, whosoever. So anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, believing in their heart that Jesus died for their sins, that Jesus is alive, he rose again, and that's wonderful news. And here, for the Jewish mind to read this, because they thought salvation was only for them, here Paul makes no distinction between Jew or Greek as far as salvation is concerned. Salvation is possible and easily available for anyone, whosoever, who calls on the name of the Lord. So the question is, have you done that? Have you done that in your life, calling upon him? Because he is your salvation. There is none other. What he did for you on Calvary's cross is sufficient for forgiveness and rising from the grave that he's truly Lord. And so if you've never done that. We're going to give you the opportunity to do that. 
But let's continue in verse 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. As you go through the book of Acts, we see that the apostle Paul, he would travel on his missionary journeys and he would bring the gospel of peace to those who had not heard it. He would go into a city. He would go into the synagogue first. If there was a synagogue that was there, usually he would be run out, and then he would go to the Gentiles. It was mostly the Gentiles that received the gospel and come to Christ. And when Paul was writing to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he would write, Woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. He knew that God had sent him and instructed him to give and preach the gospel of peace, glad tidings of good things to those who had not heard it, even if it brought hardship, persecution, which it ended up doing. We have brothers and sisters today that are being heavily persecuted because they're bringing the gospel to different parts of the world, to the Middle East, to Africa, to the Far East, and they're being persecuted. But they have that burden to go into the mission field, to share those who are being converted. You know, there are more Muslims converting to, to Christianity in the Middle East than ever before. It's, it's incredible to hear the testimonies. And you and I, as we bring the gospel to others, we may be persecuted. It is Paul that said to Timothy that those who live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Not might be persecuted. You will be persecuted to one degree or another because the world hates us. Jesus said the world hates you because it first hated me. And I want us to be encouraged in this, that even though you are persecuted, great is your reward. And we are to have a heart for people to bring the gospel to them. I personally think, and this is my opinion, that persecution here in our culture and in our nation could become very much heavier and greater as we get closer to the return of the Lord. I pray for revival. I pray that revival can happen, but it may come out of persecution. And as we see a culture that is in rebellion against God in his ways, and as you and I stand for the gospel and for Jesus Christ, and we're not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because we know it's the power of God for salvation, you and I are going to be persecuted. And that persecution may increase as we're getting closer to the return of the Lord. The Bible says that in the last days, it is going to be perilous times and evil men and imposters are going to grow worse and worse and you will experience persecution. But Timothy, Timothy, listen, you must continue in the scriptures which you've known from childhood. There is a world out there, a community out there, co-workers and family members and neighbors that they're in darkness and they're being blinded. And we have opportunity to share with them. And yes, people may come against us, make fun of us, come down on us. Even greater persecution that may come to us. But here Paul is saying something in this chain of thought which expresses the whole missionary thrust of the church in these verses. Why would a man call upon someone he doesn't believe? How can you know, they believe in him unless they've heard about him? How can they hear about him unless a preacher has been sent? You might be saying, well, that's your job, Pastor Jeff. You know, that's your ministry. It is, but it's yours as well. Because you may be the only preacher to the people 
at the workplace, as much as they get under your skin, you may be the only gospel that they see, the only light that they see to your family, to your neighbors, to those at school. And Paul here quotes from Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring or preach the gospel of peace. And the context there in Isaiah 52 is that it was a welcome message of the messengers to Judah that their exile in Babylon was over. And Paul grabs that from the book of Isaiah and reminds us how beautiful are the feet of those who bring a message to others that their bondage and exile to the world can be over. As you call in the name of the Lord, that they can be forgiven, cleansed, and heaven can be your home. And I believe that one of the reasons, we talked about this on Wednesday night, that, that Christians can become so stagnant and discouraged and apathetic and sluggish in their walk with the Lord is because they're not sharing truth with others and they're not sharing the gospel. It can happen to us so easily. We get self-absorbed. We live in the here and now. We get so self-focused. And if we want to have beautiful feet, you want to have happy feet? You want to have a spring in your step, in your spiritual walk? You be one that says, woe is me if I don't share the gospel. If I don't share the truth of God's word to other. You know, I was reading this morning in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. I was reminded of this. That it tells us that God has put eternity into our hearts. He created us. And there's something innately in everyone to worship God. He's put an eternity in our hearts. And if we very lovingly, and very wisely, and very discreetly, as, as doors are opened up to us, and opportunities given to us, to share God's truth and gospel with others, you'll be amazed how many are receptive to it, and how it encourage you, and how you begin to pray for them. Lord, they're thinking, they're, they're wondering, because they know that this world is a big phony. People deep down inside know that. And this world is screwed up. But there's something about you. There's something about you that is different. A peace about you. A love that's in you. Wisdom that's in you. That I want to know. And we have opportunity to be able to, to talk to them about it. To be able to encourage them in it. Begin that. And as we do, it's going to just, it's going to stir your heart. Plus, verse 17, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed, the, their sound has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Paul would go into the synagogues and he would quote the Old Testament scriptures. He would tell them how Jesus fulfilled those prophecies that he truly is Messiah. You see, they didn't come out and say, well, you know, Paul just brought some new revelation or some new teaching, some strange teaching. We believe it. No, he would show them. They didn't just have a blind faith. And, and Paul would here is pulling from the Old Testament to prove his point here. I remember when I was a young Christian, you know, when Christian TV first was really starting to become popular, 
I would listen to one guy teach, and he would all the time say, just have faith in, you know, what I'm saying. Just have faith, brother and sister, in what I'm saying. Well, as I grew in the Lord, I realized I'll have faith in what you're saying if it matches the Scripture. If it matches what the Word of God has to say. And Paul's saying something really important here that we need to understand, that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, that is my trust in God is based on knowing him, and knowing him comes from what the scriptures declares of our wonderful God, his character, his love, his goodness, his provision of salvation, his commandments, his precepts, promises for my life. And you see, you will have a hard time trusting who you don't know. And the scripture is the way to know God as he's revealed to us. How you've loved me, Lord. Died for me. You want to do what's best for me. You want to guide me and strengthen me and use me. And your promises are for me. And it produces faith within my life as I do that. The best thing that I can do for you is not try to get you all worked up emotionally. That brother and sister, you just need to have faith and have more faith, you know. And try to get it all worked up in you and you're like... And by the time you hit your car in the parking lot, it's gone. The best thing that I can do is teach you the word of God. Week after week, consistently from Genesis to Revelation. Because as you learn, listen, never get tired of the word of God. Continually be growing. It's going to increase your faith. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And in verse 19, we've got to close quickly. But I say, did Israel not know? First, Moses says, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. But Isaiah is very bold and says, I have found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. But to Israel, he says, all day long I have stretched out my hand to a disobedient and contrary people. So he's writing about his countrymen. Once again, he's pulling out from the Old Testament scriptures, Deuteronomy 32, Isaiah 65, hey, that he went to the Gentiles. And he talks about, and he will continue as we go into next week, chapter 11, that he would provoke the Jews by bringing the Gentiles into salvation. Provoke them to jealousy. So I want to end with this. What about you and me? Do we provoke others to jealousy because they see what we have? Not in a haughty way, not in a prideful way, not in a way that I'm better than you, but do they see something of the Lord in your life being worked out in your life? So day after day you go to work or to school or your family members. Do they see God's peace and love and wisdom and comfort and strength that is being worked out in you? Do they see something and they say, you have something and it provokes them. Oh, it just begins to jab at them. What's so different about you? And it begins to pull on their hearts. That whatever it is that you have, I want to know about it and how we live. Because the gospel is not just the words that we speak. That's very important. But also how we live our lives. Provoke others to jealousy in how you live. They see that you're living in wisdom. That you're living a life of peace and joy in that abundant life that you're experiencing. That they will not have in the world. Provoke them to jealousy. And then share with them the good news that you too, you too can be saved and experience that abundant life. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for, Lord, this chapter that speaks to us and reminding us have we had the opportunity to be able to share 
the glad tidings of good news to others because it is the greatest, most important message that there is in this world that we have opportunity to share it with others. To bring them the good news of the gospel and how we live and the words that we speak. So Lord, I pray that our hearts desire individually and for this church, our hearts desire is to see the people around us come to know Jesus Christ and to be saved. This world is going to go away. And it may bring persecution. We understand that. But Lord, we know that those of us who belong to you will not be put to shame. And Lord, we just want to be used of you. We want to look for those doors that are open, opportunities. You put eternity into our hearts. So people are wondering, and I think that people are more hungry than we know. Father, I do want to pray also if there's anyone here that you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. You just heard the word of God declared that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Will you come to him knowing that you need to be forgiven? And Jesus provided that forgiveness on the cross. He rose again. He conquered sin and death. He's at the right hand of the Father. He's alive and he desires to be your personal Lord and Savior, to save you, to bring peace to you, access to the Father, and the hope of eternal life. You can pray right where you are. If you're listening on live stream or on the radio, right where you are right now, pray, Jesus, I come to you and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. And I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus. I believe in my heart that you died for my sins. You rose again and you're alive. And I ask that you be my personal Lord and Savior. And I thank you for the good news. I thank you for loving me. And I thank you for this new beginning. And I want to know you and walk with you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. And listen, if you prayed that prayer this morning, I'm going to ask, I don't always ask this, but I want to ask this morning, because sometimes I like to ask if you prayed that prayer to just lift your hand up and put it back down, because you're saying I've made that decision. So anybody here, I can't see everybody. I know the coffee shop is full. If you made that decision, will you put your hand up and put it back down? Anybody at all? You don't need to be afraid. We're not doing it to embarrass you. Raising your hand doesn't save you, but you're saying yes. I've made a decision for Christ. Anybody at all? Okay. Anybody out in the coffee shop, lift your hand. We got pastors there. They will be able to just encourage you. Or if you're listening on live stream or on the radio, give us a call at the church. But Lord, I pray and hope that once again, that we would just marvel at your incredible grace given to us to share it with others, and that we would provoke others to jealousy, not in a haughty way, but in a very humble way, and in a love and a desire to see them having somewhat of Paul's heart for their salvation. So, Lord, we are rushing towards eternity, towards the return of the Lord. And it's not a time to be self-absorbed. It's a time to reach out, to go out into our mission field, to the people around us in our lives. So I thank you for this morning. I pray you bless everyone here as we go our way. 
in Jesus' name. Amen.